Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Somebody's waving. Either they're waving at me or they're waving as they're leaving. I don't know if they're waving at me. Goodbye, Pastor Sean. I'm leaving. All right. Some of you wish you could do that too, but you can't. You can't leave. So before we moved to Sterling, Colorado, about 12 years ago, we lived in Black Forest, Colorado. Uh, it's northeast of Colorado Springs. And as you can tell by the name of Black Forest, there are thousands and thousands of pine trees all over the place. And so we lived in what was called the forest. But from about 1996 to about 2013, there was in Colorado a pine beetle epidemic. I don't know if you know what a pine beetle is, but it's a, it's a beetle, it's a parasite that eats into pine trees. And the Colorado Forestry Service has estimated that 834 million trees in Colorado are infested with pine beetle, which means they're standing dead trees. They haven't fallen over yet. They're just dead. They're rotten to the core. Roughly one in every 14 standing trees in our state's forest is dead due to a pine beetle. 20% of our state's forest land has been infested with pine beetles. It counts for 8,000 square miles of forest. Now, this was a big deal in Black Forest when we lived there, pine beetles. Because what happens when the pine beetles come and eat the trees, it gets to be where the trees get very, very dry. And in the late 90s and in the early 2000s when we lived in Black Forest, there was a drought in Colorado, and there was always a fear every summer of a forest fire with the pine beetle and the drought. And as a matter of fact, a few years ago in Black Forest, there was a major forest fire. A lot of our friends' homes got destroyed because of a pine beetle epidemic. Now, when you think of a pine tree, like a, no a nice big ponderosa pine or a lodgepole pine, you normally think of a healthy tree that's watered, that has sap running through its, its branches, but when you think about a pine beetle and you think about a dry, dead, rotten tree, I want to ask you a question this morning. What does your spiritual life in Christ look like? Is it a tall, growing, vibrant pine tree with sap flowing through it because it's got a good root system, or is your life like a dead, dry, lifeless, rotten-to-the-core, pine beetle-infested tree? Which one describes your life this morning? The imagery here is very important because Jesus is going to give us a teaching about vine and branches and being connected to him. So we're jumping into John chapter 15, where Jesus is going to give this long extended metaphor 
this illustration about being the true vine. And so really, I hate to tell you this, this is a two-part sermon, so you have to come back next week to get the full message. So um, that's kind of a teaser. I can't, te- I can't preach everything this passage has to preach in one Sunday because it's so rich, there's so much there, and so I'm going to leave you hanging so you can come back next week, okay? So every good pastor does that, leaves you hanging so you come back next week. So let's pick up in John chapter 15. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 6 this morning. These are the words of Jesus, John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now jump back into chapter 14 for a moment, that last phrase. What does Jesus say after he's finishing chapter 14? He says, rise, let us go from here. Rise, let us go from here. So, Many scholars, the text doesn't tell us, but many scholars believe that as they left the upper room and they're walking down the Kidron Valley and they're going up to the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane is, possibly, as Jesus has taken this short trek, they came across some vineyards, some grapevines. And it's there along this little trek that Jesus stops in the middle of these vineyards and gives this object lesson about being the vine and the branches. And so this is called a Jewish mashal. A mashal. It's not a parable. It's called a mashal. A mashal is a little bit more intricate than a parable. A parable usually teaches one main point, but this is more of an extended metaphor. This is more of a visual image. This is more of a symbolic story that has many different layers of meaning. And so Jesus is going to unpack for us what it means for him to be the vine and us to be the branches. And so we're going to explore this same truth over the next three weeks or so because it's tied into what Jesus is talking about, about being the vine. But here's, here's the point of this passage of Scripture. Continual dependence upon Jesus is absolutely essential for spiritual fruitfulness. Continual, ongoing, day by day, moment by moment, dependence upon Jesus is absolutely essential for spiritual fruitfulness. This entire metaphor is about being spiritually fruitful, which brings up a huge question. What does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean to truly be spiritually fruitful? I'm not going to answer that this morning. That's why you've got to come back next week. 
In this passage of scripture, it does talk about what it means to bear fruit. But we're going to have to get to that next week. But for this morning, because of the way the text is laid out, I want us just to explore three truths that emerge from this passage of scripture. The way that Jesus starts this conversation. So here's truth number one. First of all, we are absolutely dependent upon Jesus for spiritual fruitfulness. We're absolutely dependent upon him for any type of spiritual fruitfulness, any type of fruit, any type of spiritual growth, anything that's going to happen of eternal significance in your life, you have to absolutely be dependent upon Jesus to produce that. You can't produce that in your own strength, in your own flesh, by yourself. Now, what does Jesus say? He says, I am the true vine. I am the authentic vine. I'm the one and only vine. Now, this is the last of his I am statements. As we've been trekking through the Gospel of John, he's given seven of these. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here's the last one. I am the true vine. And then notice how he links the Father into that. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. In other words, Jesus is the mediator who's going to connect us to the Father. The Father's the vine dresser. The Father's the gardener. Jesus is the true vine. In other words, Jesus is this mediator who's going to bring us into contact with the Father. Now, if you're not familiar with vineyards, which I'm not, I don't own a vineyard, haven't traveled to a lot of vineyards, but I can do research on the internet and find these things out. A lot of times when you think about a vineyard, the vine, when you think about a vine, what do you think of? This long rolling thing that kind of just rolls out there and kind of goes wild. That's not what the vine is. Actually, the vine is the trunk of the, the, the plant that grows into the ground. And the vine keeper usually keeps it around waist high. So the, the vine is really just a, a small area, and then the branches go out. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, what he's really saying here is, I'm the foundation, I'm the source, I'm the root system, I am your absolute source of spiritual sustenance. I'm the true vine. Now, you have to ask a question. Why does Jesus call himself the true vine? Well, it assumes there may have been some false vines or some untrue vines vines. Who's Jesus comparing himself to? Why does Jesus say, I'm the true vine? Well, if you go back to your Old Testament and you read your Bible, you will find out that the nation of Israel was often called God's vineyard. They were God's vine. 200 years before Christ, the official coins of Israel had imprinted on them a vine. So kind of like the bald eagle is to America, the vine was the image of Israel. But almost always when you read the Old Testament and God is talking to Israel about being the vineyard, about being the vine, it's almost always in reference to Israel being rebellious, Israel being rotten, Israel not fulfilling the role that God had given them. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 5, there's what's called the song of the vineyard. The vineyard song that God sings or God says about Israel. In Isaiah 5, 5 through 7, this is what God says to Israel. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. That's Israel. I will remove its hedge 
and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Israel had become disobedient. So God says, I'm going to uproot this vineyard, this vine. Jeremiah 2.21. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Jesus comes on the scene and says, listen, I now am the true vine. It's not your national heritage related to Israel. It's not trying to do all these things to prop yourself up. I am the true vine. You must be connected to me. I have the the source of life. Without Christ as your source of spiritual life, grace, power, mercy, sustenance, moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, maybe even second by second, we are not able to do anything spiritually good. Notice verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide. Used over and over again. Live. Remain, put down roots. You've got to be living. Jesus says, live in me, stay in me, remain in me, abide in me. Just like the imagery here is of sap that flows through a pine tree or or sap that flows through the, the, the branches. Jesus is the source. So what provides the source of energy? Is it the vine or the branches? Which comes first? The vine provides life to the branches. Those branches are going to die. Those branches are going to wither unless the life of the sap comes to them. Same thing with Jesus. You're going to wither. You're going to die. You're not going to produce any spiritual fruit unless you have Christ as that source of your root. He's the only source. And here's the issue, the harsh reality. By nature, without Jesus, we are all barren, dry, rotten and spiritually dead without Christ. What does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3? You were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires, the body, and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That describes every single one of us that's born into this world. We're we're separated from God. We're spiritually dead. We're enslaved to Satan. We're under God's judgment. We We are spiritually dead by nature. That describes all of us. Until God does something miraculous in you. God must cause you to be born again. God must make you alive. And that's why just a few verses down, this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. 
When you are connected by faith to Christ, when God has made you alive, you get new life. And this is what we've been talking about all these weeks, this new life in Christ. And as you continue to live the Christian life, you've got to stay connected to Jesus. You've got to abide. So next week, we're going to talk about what that looks like to abide in Christ, how, how, to, how, to, how, to, how to have that spiritual fruit that comes from Christ. But he is our source. And notice what Jesus says. He's very emphatic. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much, much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything without Christ. Now, does that mean you can't walk and chew gum without Christ? Does that mean you can't like shoot a free throw without Christ? What's he talking about? Basically, what he's saying is you and I cannot produce anything significant, anything of eternal value, anything of spiritual nature, anything eternal without Christ. We can't produce it in our flesh. We can't produce it in our intelligence. We can't produce it in our power. We have to stay connected to Christ. He's the vine. We are the branches. And so next week, we're going to flush out what that looks like. What does it mean to abide? What does it mean to bear fruit? Jesus just makes the categorical statement right here at the beginning and just says, listen, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide in me. Stay connected to me. Remain in me. I'm your true source of spiritual nourishment. I'm your true source of spiritual power. I'm your true source of grace. Everything that you need flows from me. Stay connected to me. That's, that's truth number one. We are absolutely, essentially dependent upon Jesus for anything of spiritual significance. But it's very interesting here. Because in verse 2, Jesus addresses two groups of people. There are those that don't bear fruit that are thrown away and burned. And there are those that bear fruit that are pruned. So I'm going to look at these in reverse order because there's two groups of people. We've got to ask, who are these people? What's going on here? What's Jesus describing? So here's the second truth for this morning. God will sovereignly prune true believers in order for them to bear fruit. Notice what Jesus says about God the Father as the vine dresser. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he, that is the Father, prunes that it may bear more fruit. God prunes. Now this is in reference to believers. God prunes true believers. Now look at verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. They're clean. The disciples are clean. What, what does it mean by clean? He's, he's basically saying you're already saved. You're already truly a child of God. Jesus has already used this clean language earlier to describe his disciples. Back when he was washing their feet. Remember back in chapter 13 when he's washing their feet and, and Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, I need to wash all of you. And then Peter says, okay, wash all of me. John 13, 10 through 11. Jesus said to them, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus tells his disciples, you're clean. You're saved. You are already a child. 
How does God save you? How does God clean you? Notice what verse 3 says. Already you are clean because, because, the reason why, because of the word that I've spoken to you. So let me ask you a very simple question. How did you get saved? The word of God had to come to you. And that may have come from a pastor preaching like myself. It may have come from a friend. It may have come from a parent. It may have come from a neighbor. It may have come from you reading the Bible by yourself in a hotel room. It may have come from a voice coming over the airwaves. But somehow you had to hear the word of God in order to be saved. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. When you hear the word of God, God generates in you faith to believe that word so that you can become clean, you can be saved. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. Having purified your souls, having become clean, purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, how? Through the living and abiding word of God. How were you born again? Through God's word. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Notice what Peter says. Here's how it happens. Here's how you get saved, okay? You are spiritually dead. You are spiritually separated from God. You're a sinner. You can't produce life of yourself because you're in bondage. But then the word comes to you. Whether through a parent or through a teacher or through a preacher or through a friend, somehow God's word comes to you. And when God's word comes to you, your ears are open, your eyes are open, the Holy Spirit comes and does this work of cleansing you, of causing you to be born again, and through faith, you get saved through the Word of God, cleansing you on the inside. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You're already clean because of the Word that I've spoken to you. You're saved. But what does God the Father do to a saved person? You may not like this, but God prunes you. This is an interesting play on words in the original language. When it says there, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Literally, it's he cleanses. The word in the original language has a double meaning. It does mean to prune, which means to, I'm going to use an object lesson here. That's good to have a plan on the front of the stage here. To cut away unfruitful plants, unfruitful branches. That's what it means to prune, but it also means to cleanse. To cleanse. Now, how does God cleanse you? How does God prune you? Why does God prune you? Why does God cut away your edges? Why does God do this? Well, here's the answer, because left to ourselves, we're not going to produce fruit. 
we're always going to move towards degenerating. We're always going to move towards the flesh. We're always going to move towards self-centeredness. So we need the Father to come do a work of pruning us. Now, I need you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Keep your finger in John, but turn in your Bibles or swipe or open or however you get there. Hebrews chapter 12, because in this passage of Scripture, it describes for us the pruning process. The pruning, the cutting away, the cleansing process that God does for his true children. If you're a true child of God, if you are truly saved, you will be pruned. You will be cleansed. God will sovereignly do this work in your life to make sure that you bear fruit. What does it look like? Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 6. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. God disciplines those he loves. God prunes true believers. God will sovereignly cleanse you. Whether you want to or not, God's going to do it. Now, I'm going to show you three aspects of God's discipline from this passage of Scripture in Hebrews. What is the writer of Hebrews telling us about the reality of God's discipline, God's pruning process? First of all, here's this. We see the necessity of discipline. God's only doing what God does when his children go astray or when his children misbehave or when his children need to have those rough edges cut away, God's only doing what's necessary. Now here's the scary thing about this text. Maybe it's comforting. The text doesn't tell you what the discipline looks like. God never says what the discipline looks like. And here's why. I believe God has purposely left this ambiguous because in God's sovereignty, he's going to discipline each of you in a different way because he knows exactly what each of you needs specifically. We're not all cookie cutters that have the same issues. God is sovereignly going to know what you specifically need in your life to be removed, to be taken away, to have have the the edges molded off, uh, rubbed off. He knows exactly what you need sovereignly. And so the thing that we know is the discipline will come We just don't know how God's going to do it. We know what he is going to do it because if, here's the truth, if if you're not being disciplined as a true child of God, you're not a true child of God because what does he say? If you're not being disciplined, you're not a true son. You're an illegitimate child. So there is the necessity of discipline because God does that to sovereignly get us where we need to be. He prunes us. So number one, the necessity of discipline. Number two, we see the right response to discipline. Look at verse 9. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject 
to the Father of spirits and live, to be subject. When you go through discipline, how do you respond? In joyful submission to what the Father is doing. It's going to be painful. You're not going to like it. But you as a child have no right to tell God what he's doing in your life. He is sovereignly disciplining you for your good, and you joyfully accept that discipline and realize that Father knows best. That's why Isaiah says this in Isaiah 45, 9. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Your work has no handles. How many, have, how many times have we been guilty of that? God, do you really know what you're doing? Obviously you don't. Because if you knew what you were doing, I wouldn't be going through this. This wouldn't be so painful. This wouldn't be so difficult. And God looks down and says, I know exactly what I'm doing. That's exactly what you need. Don't talk back to me. I'm sovereignly pruning you because I want you to bear more fruit. I want you to be productive. I want you to be spiritually fruitful. And so I'm going to sovereignly prune you, and you need to respond with submission. But then third, we see the benefits of discipline. There's benefits. Notice what verses 10 and 11 say. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. Now notice God disciplines you for your good, not to be a meanie, not so that you can um, just, just God hates you. It's for your good that you may share in his holiness. So number one, it makes you more holy. That's why 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So number one, the benefit is that we become more holy. But look at verse 11. Notice the fruit imagery that's used there. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. What does God do? God prunes, God disciplines, God shapes you, God molds you so that you'll bear more fruit, so that you'll be more fruitful. He's doing it so that you can be more like Christ. And it may be painful. And it may be uncomfortable, but God is doing it because he knows you need it. Now, back in the late 1700s, the British Navy started this interesting practice called holy stoning. What was a holy stone? A holy stone, and here's the reason why they called it a holy stone. It was a piece of sandstone that a sailor would use, and this was to keep the sailors that were idle busy, so they would get down on their knees and take this sandstone and scrub the grind and the dirt and all of the junk off the top of those wooden ships. And it was called a holy stone because it looked like they were praying when they were down there. They're on their knees. And they would do this for four or five hours until the boat would be nice and, and pristine and white and, and all the stuff would be taken off of it. A holy stone. I want you to think about your life for a moment. God takes his holy stone and he may rub and he may really scratch the grime and the dirt off of your life. And it may be painful and it may be long and it may be arduous, but when he's done doing that, what do you have? You have a nice, clean wooden deck 
ready to be used. And God has made you fruitful, and God has made you ready, and God has done this process, at painful at times, so that you can be more fruitful. God's going to trim anything away in your life that's going to prevent you from bearing fruit. And it doesn't just have to be discipline. God may be saying, you know what, you're, you're just busy. you got a lot of things going on in your life. You're, you're doing a lot of superficial things. You're doing a lot of religious things, but it's really not spiritual. You're, you're, you're playing a good game of, of being religious, but I'm going to cut that away. Because what God is after is fruit, not religious activity, fruit. So that's group number one. The true Christian is going to be pruned by the Heavenly Father. It may be painful. It may take a while. It may not be comfortable. But God is sovereignly doing that because he wants you to bear more fruit. He's doing it for your good. He's doing it so that you're more fruitful. And God's going to sovereignly prune you. That's group number one. Here's group number two. This is the third truth of this morning, the third group of people. God will sovereignly judge false professors on that final day. Verse 2, we'll go back to John for a minute. Jump back out of Hebrews. Go back to John. John 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. There are those who had close relationship with Jesus, but were not in Jesus. Who can you think comes to mind when you think about this? Judas. Judas Iscariot is a prime example. He was the treasurer. He's the one everybody trusted. No one would suspect him of anything. But he is left. Remember, he's not here. He's left. And people wondered, they thought he was going out to feed the poor, remember? So Judas was closely connected to Jesus. Judas was next to Jesus. He was close to Jesus. He professed faith in Jesus. But he was not abiding in Jesus. He was not a branch, a true branch. He was not in spiritual connection and salvation. Now, some have been, some Arminians have taken this to teach that you can lose your salvation. That a true Christian, if you're not bearing fruit, then you need to be very careful because if you're not bearing fruit, you, you need to worry about being burned in the fire. So all you Christians out there, if you're not bearing fruit, you better worry about it because you may lose your salvation if you're not bearing fruit. That makes me scared because at the end of the day, how much fruit do I need to bear to make sure I don't go to hell? This is not teaching you can lose your salvation because it would contradict everything that Jesus has said up to this point in the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, 37 through 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. So Jesus has already said, I'm not going to lose any that the Father's given me. So you can't lose your salvation if you've been given to, the, to Jesus by the Father. John 10, 28 through 30. 
I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them. Oh, I'm reading it twice. It's in my... (laughs) I copied and pasted the verse twice, so you heard it twice. This is not about losing your salvation. This is about those that never had it. Let me say it this way. This will help you remember, okay? It's a little slogan that I've made up, but hopefully it'll, it'll help you remember. You can have a profession of faith, but not have possession of faith. You understand what I'm saying? You can profess with your mouth that you are a Christian, You can act like a Christian. You can profess it. You can connect yourself with the church. You can go through the motions. You can do a lot of things. Get baptized. Walk an aisle. Get confirmed as a child. Teach vacation Bible school. You can make the profession outwardly and still not have inward possession of faith. You're not spiritually connected to Jesus in faith. You've never been given new life. You've never been born again. You've made a profession of faith, but you're not a possessor of faith. In 1 John, John talks about what happened in the early church. 1 John 2.19 talks about this group of people, the same group of people. They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they're not all of us. There were some that played the game of church. They acted like they were Christians. They put up a good front, but then they left. They walked away, proving that they were never saved in the first place. Think about the parable of the soils for a moment. You know, you got the different soils, and the sower goes out and sows the word of God. There's different responses. Uh, the, the second soil is the one that scares me the most. Matthew 13, 20 through 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root. That's the key. He has no root. I'm the vine, you're the branches, he has no root. He's not connected to Jesus, but endures for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. There are some that get excited about Jesus, they hear the word, they look like they're saved, they have all outward manifestations of salvation, but then for a while, when things are going good, they play the part. But then when persecution comes, when tribulation comes, when God's discipline comes, when hard things come, they bail. And why do they bail? They didn't lose their salvation. They never had it in the first place because they had no roots. They had no initial connection with Jesus Christ in faith. So what is Jesus saying here? There are those that play the game of Christianity that will go to hell on that final day. Notice the graphic description of verse 6. You can't mistake the language of judgment there. If one does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire and burned. Does that sound like hell to you? They're thrown into a fire and burned? It's very reminiscent of Ezekiel's prophecy about Israel being the rebellious vine. Ezekiel chapter 15, 6-8. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine... 
among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel. So have I given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will set my face against them. Though they escape from the fire, the fire shall yet consume them, and you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate because they've acted faithlessly, declares the Lord. Jesus is giving a dire warning here to those who play the game, but no root, no faith, no actual salvation. They made a profession, but it was false. They had no true possession. Now, if you're a Christian, you need to be encouraged. Because there's two truths for you as a Christian. Number one, if you're a Christian, you will bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. I don't know how much fruit you're going to bear. I don't know if you're not supposed to compare yourself to other people's fruit. But there's no such thing as a Christian who does not bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, you're not a Christian. And God will prune you to make sure you bear fruit. And truth number two is that if you're a Christian, you're never going to lose your salvation. But here's the warning from this passage. To those of you that aren't Christians, if you're not connected to Jesus, if you're not a true branch, what's the warning that Jesus gives? better make sure you get connected by faith to Jesus. You, you better repent of your sins and by faith trust in the true vine. Make sure you're connected in spiritual union to Jesus. Don't just make a profession of faith, but make sure you have possession of faith. Truly trust in Jesus. Truly repent of your sins. Truly come to faith in Christ. Have that new life in Christ. Experience the union with Christ. If not, and you go through all the motions, and you do all the right things, and you do all the religious rituals, if you have no root, if you have no relationship with Christ, if you have no spiritual connection with Jesus, it doesn't matter all the things you do on the outside. Jesus says, at the end of the day, you will be burned. That's a dire warning. So, are you a branch that is in vital connection with Jesus as the vine, abiding in him, trusting in him or are you a withered dry rotten spiritual branch over here on your own like a pine beetle tree you're, you're standing up you're walking you're you're living life but you're totally dead and you're totally lifeless and there's no spiritual fruit then you need to get connected to the vine you need to get connected to jesus if you're not a christian you need to become one this morning. How do you do that? You repent, you turn away from your sin, you acknowledge that sin, you confess that sin, and you turn by faith and place all of your trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you, to forgive you. That's how you get saved. If you're a Christian, the message for you this morning is accept God's pruning. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. And he does it so that you bear more fruit. And I don't know about you, but if you're a Christian, if you're a true Christian, don't you want to bear more fruit? Don't you want to be fruitful? Don't you want to have that spiritual life that's, that's pleasing? God's going to do whatever it takes to get you to that point because he prunes those who are his that they may 
bear more fruit. So I don't know what camp you're in this morning. Only God knows that. But my prayer is that everybody leaves this place being connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ. That you're abiding in him, you have life in him, and that you're continually depending upon him to bear fruit. And that can be a reality today for all of us if we just trust in Jesus Christ alone as the true vine. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning and evaluate your life. Just evaluate your life. Are you bearing fruit? Is God pruning you? Are you dead, dry, and lifeless? Are you, are you disconnected from Christ? Are you not a believer? Wherever you are this morning, cry out to the Lord Jesus as the true vine. And you will find a perfect Savior. You will find an all-sufficient Savior. Who can save you, who can equip you, who can encourage you, who can love you, who can connect you to the Father that you may have true life. Thank you that you are the vine dresser, that you're the gardener, that you prune us, you cleanse us, you discipline us. And Lord, that's not fun. As the Bible says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. And Lord, you may be shaping us and fashioning us and squeezing us and, and sandstoning us so that we will look more like Jesus so that we will bear more fruit. So help us to accept that. Help us to joyfully submit to that. Help us to know that you're a good and sovereign father that's doing what's best for us. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that is spiritually dead, they're, they're a withered branch that's not in connection with Jesus Christ, Father, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Would today, Holy Spirit, be the day that you breathe new life into those dead branches and you connect them by faith to Jesus Christ? Would today be the day where many would trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, to repent of their sins and find in him a perfect Savior to forgive them of all their sins and give them eternal life? Lord, thank you for the life that we have in you as the true vine. May we this week abide in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.